morning, and like I said earlier, I'm Kong, the associate pastor, and I'm glad that we're spending an entire month talking about sex, because I think it's something really important, and I don't think we talk about it in the right way or understand it fully to, to how God had intended, how God had planned it. I mean, even growing up for me, I can only remember two moments, two really brief moments in my life where my parents, or more so my mom, talked about sex. And so I remember I was like 13, 14 years old, and my mom and I were in the kitchen doing something, and she's like, Kong, you can't have sex until you're 18 because it's bad. And then she quickly retracted that statement because she realized we went to church, and she's like, Kong, I take that back. Don't have sex until you get married. Now, the next time I heard about sex was when I got married. And my mom didn't say, Kong, you're, you, know, you can have sex. Rather, she said, Kong, when can I expect to be a grandma? It is so confusing about how all my life, sex is bad, and then at one point when I got married, sex is good. It's so confusing. Now, as I think about that, what about you? What did you grow up hearing about sex? What are your views on sex now? And I think more importantly, as we talk about sex this month, what do you think God's opinion on sex is? What about your opinion on sex versus God's opinion on sex? I think generally Christians get a bad rep about how we view sex because there's so many rules. You can't do this. You can't do that. But I think if we read the text, if we read scripture, we read the Bible differently, I think God has the best view for sex for us. Let's say that again. I think God has the best view for sex for us. In fact, I believe God's design for sex is for our ultimate good. Let me say that again too. I believe God's design for sex is for our ultimate good. So let's look into the Bible to help us understand this better. One of the best passages to understand why God's design for sex is our ultimate good is in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 28. And this is what it says. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Now we know this is the story of God's creation and how he created humans on the sixth day. When I went to study this, I thought it was really interesting that right after he creates human creates humans, Adam and Eve, he blesses them and tells them to have sex. Now, if I was God, like any good parent who has teenagers, kind of like my mom, I wouldn't dare mention anything about sex in front of Adam and Eve. Instead, I would have told them to stop goofing off, feed the chicken and the pigs, clean up the garden, don't mention sex about the sex to me. What intrigues me just as much as God telling Adam and Eve to experience sex after God creates them is what God says right before creating them. 
And so let's look at verse 26 again. God says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. And a quick summary is that God says he's going to create humans in his image. He then makes humans and then tells them to have sex. It's intriguing because I think when we understand this formula, we can understand why God's design for sex is for our ultimate good. Let's first explore what it means to be created in God's image. Now, of all creation, humans are really unique. So you and I, we're really unique. God created us in his image. And specifically in verse 26, it says that God, this is what God says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Notice the use of our. It's not singular, it's plural. This means we were created in an image of more than one person. Now, this passage that we're looking at today is a reference to a core belief of Christianity, which is called the Trinity. It's the belief that God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are three distinct persons who are one God. These three unique individuals are one in essence who have existed with each other forever. And we are created in that very image of those three persons who are one. And right after being created in the image of God, the very next thing again God does is bless them and tells them to experience sex. So again, what does this mean? Well, if anything, it helps uh, clarify to me that sex isn't bad like what I learned as a teenager. In fact, God is for sex and not against it because he told humans to experience it. But I think what's crucial is that we must experience it in a context of being created in the image of God. It needs to be understood in that context of being created in the image of God. So let's dive into understanding five primary characteristics of the Trinity. Let's dive into understanding five primary characteristics of who we all were created in. You see, the, Holy, the, the, the Trinity, God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, their relationship is exclusive. There have always been three specific members, and there will always be three. No more, no less. They don't invite others into the relationship, nor do they have different partners. They are each for the others. God wants us to experience sex in an exclusive relationship. And this is what he created. This is marriage. The second characteristic is this. The relationship between God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are relationally active. They have always experienced giving to and receiving love from one another in unconditional and loving intimacy. It's their very nature to do so. It's who they are. The third characteristic, the relationship that God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit have is permanent. They have always experienced this giving and receiving of love for each other forever and will continue to. They are not merely convenient, temporary or pa 
lasting relationships. They are permanent. The fourth characteristic is this. The relationship that God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit experience is a commitment. Their relationships do not depend on how fulfilled they are or on what they can get out of the relationship. They stick with each other through the end. And lastly, the fifth, God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are self-giving. They seek to serve and to give to each other, other and honor each other in doing so. They're not selfish. While they are honored in receiving love from one another, it's not about what they can get, but what they can give. These are characteristics that God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit experience with each other. And then that's the image that we were created in. So as I was coming up with, as I was thinking about these characteristics, there were some that seem to be able to exist in a relationship outside of marriage. Who's to say that being exclusive, active, permanent, committed, and self-giving can't exist in a relationship outside of marriage? I think they may be able to exist in some form, but nowhere near, nowhere close to how God intended them to be experienced. God's design for sex is for our ultimate good because he intended us to experience what he experiences. He experiences with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And this is by no means to say that the Trinity, it's no means to say that the relationship is sexual, but it's, to, but it's to convey this idea that that is how close they are and that when we experience sex, it's a glimpse of it. So again, I'm not saying that God, Jesus, and Holy Spirit there in a sexual relationship, for us, sex is the closest we'll ever get to experiencing how close the Trinity experiences it. The idea of experiencing what, well, in God's design for sex is for ultimate good so that we can be joined as closely as in this world can be joined like the Trinity who is one. And this idea of experiencing what it's like to be one, just like the Trinity, it taps into our deepest desire to know that we are known by someone. When we are truly known by someone who loves us, just like how the Trinity loves each other, all our fears, all of our insecurities go away. We have, in a sense, experienced this to, to a degree. Research shows us that when we are recognized, when we have a really good social bond with others, when we cuddle, and for some of us who've experienced sex, there's this hormone called oxytocin that is released in our bodies. And the effects of this oxytocin hormone, it makes us feel less stress. It helps us feel secure with those who, are we, who we are in a relationship with. And when we understand sex in the context that God created us, I believe we experience that to the fullest. When it comes to thinking about experiencing sex outside of God's design, I think C.S. Lewis says it best. This is what he says. The monstrosity of sexual intercourse outside of marriage is this, that those who indulge in it are trying to isolate one kind of union, the sexual, from all the other kinds of union, which were intended to go along with it and make up the total union. So when we take any of God's blessing and only desire to understand or experience 
just one aspect of it, I think we ultimately lose out on all of it. God wants us to experience the fullness of what it means to be sexual beings. God wants us to experience sex for our ultimate good, and he designed it so that we can experience it to our ultimate good. So in light of understanding that God's design for sex is for our ultimate good, what does that do to your understanding of sex? Whether you've experienced sex within marriage or outside of marriage or have never experienced sex at all, I hope a takeaway is that we should not rob ourselves of what we think sex should be because God's design for sex is the best. It's not just a fling or a stress reliever, but it's meant for us to connect with how great our relationship with God is and how great it is going to be. And if you've been hurt as a result of sex, I'm sorry. I want to validate your hurt. And I also trust and hope that in Jesus Christ, he can heal your experience and understanding of sex because I trust that it is for our Sometimes talking about sex can invoke feelings of shame or condemnation. I hope that the Holy Spirit is working in all of us to see God's design for sex and that it's for our ultimate good. So what does that mean for us? What does that mean for Wave Life? Imagine if we all leave here having a clear understanding of God's design for sex. It's apparent that our world misunderstands sex, which leads to experiences um, that are confusing or negative. And it can show up in ways like in pornography and abuse, human trafficking, the list goes on. Imagine what a world would look like if we had a better understanding of sex. Imagine what, world we're, what the world would look like if, if we understood that God's design for sex is for our ultimate good and how that draws us closer to reflect who God is. Let me pray for God, we thank you so much for allowing us to have this time to talk about sex and to better understand what your intentions are for sex. And God, with whatever confusion, whatever we heard, whatever misunderstanding that we may have, we know and we trust that it is for our good because we know that you are God. And so God... We ask for your Holy Spirit to transform the way we think about it. And we wrestle with it, with you, openly and honestly. Knowing that you want, experience, you want us to experience um, the best of what you created. So we thank you. And we pray and lift this all up in your name.